It's very different. We get very mixed reactions depending on who we talk to. Some mm -hmm. people are really proud of us for actually coming here and, and having this experience and living here. It gives some people hope and other people are more skeptical. And I think a lot of it is because of that whole white savior or Western savior mentality that some people have. Mm -hmm. They think we're coming here, we're going to fix the whole world or mm -hmm. we're trying to fix the world and the country and that's not what we're here to do. If we can help people along the way, absolutely. Shlomo Shlomo Serum Podcast listeners, we hope you had wonderful holidays with your family and your friends. We missed you a lot and let's be real, we know you missed us too. That's why we decided to come back with a bang. Today's episode is a little bit different from what you've heard before. This time we are presenting you four amazing young people who decided to move back to the homeland Iraq in order to work there and to also, and I'm quoting one of them, to unearth their roots. What you're about to hear is raw and honest talk. This is the unromanticized version of living in the homeland with all the ups and downs, the expectations, and the challenges. If you're thinking of returning and still have made up your mind, this podcast will be your survival guide. Lastly, the Syrian podcast is brought to you by Tony Clark Rackers and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Clark Rackers. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, let's join our returnees in Iraq. First of all, it would be great if everyone could introduce themselves real quick. Hello, my name is Susan Yonan from California. I currently live in Erbil and I am a project manager implementing in Nineveh with direct services to the Assyrians and Yazidis. Hi everyone, I'm Miriam Zia. I moved here from Montreal, Canada. I'm currently living in Duhok, where I'm the head of the English department at an international school there. Hi everyone, my name is Jenny Korkas. I am from Hamilton in Canada. And I'm currently living in Ankawa, and I'm working as a teacher. Hey, everyone. My name is Melinda Kubiar. I'm from California, and I live in Ankawa. I'm currently working in marketing and advertising. Great. So for the listeners that are tuning in, maybe we should explain where we are right now. Susie, can you explain a little bit about the location, where we are, and the background about it? Yes. So we are currently in the northern region of Iraq, in Erbil. And so basically it's not divided, but it's sort of separated into two areas. So there's the southern part of Iraq and then the northern part, which is um, called the KRI, which is the Kurdistan region of Iraq. You are all born in the West or you lived the majority of your lives in the West. Your parents gave up everything so you can have a life full of opportunities. The majority would say, why would you leave that behind and move to a country that is that so many people want to leave, actually. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think we left anything behind. I think this is just, for me anyway, it's the next step in my 
journey. I don't know if I'm going to be here forever, but it was important for me being born and raised in the West to come back here and to experience life here. I am experiencing it as an expat, not as a local, but it was still important for me to come back to my homeland. Yeah, in my case, honestly, when I was telling my family that I wanted to move back here, they just could not understand why I'd go back to the country that we left when I was six months old. Um, and the reality is that I had to explain to them is that while they had years of experience living here within the Assyrian community, mm -hmm. in their own homeland, I never had that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I was, I won't, I don't want to say I was robbed of that opportunity, but I was six months old when I left. I never grew up in my own community. I never experienced life here. And so there was a very strong desire to come back and connect with my homeland that they couldn't understand because they had or that opportunity to connect with the homeland and decided to leave. So it was important to put that into perspective for them. Yeah, and sort of, as you mentioned, like, you know, our parents uh, left the country to give us a better opportunity. However, obviously it wasn't in their mind. However, I think this is an opportunity coming yeah. back. And I don't mm -hmm. think they realize that. Now we have the opportunity to strengthen our people, to be advocates, to let people know about the realities on the ground. I mean, there's only so much we can do outside of Assyria. It's time that we focus and do it in Assyria. We are given a golden ticket with mm -hmm. our passports. Can I say, like Susie was saying, because we're expats, we have a much bigger impact mm -hmm. here than we would if we were born and raised here in a way. But the opportunities that we had living and growing up in the West, it's the reason that we're here. Yeah. We have an advantage. Yeah. A big, big advantage. Exactly. And it's really time because when I moved here and when we all moved here, it's amazing how many actually Kurdish people, Arab people, Mandean, who have grown up in Europe, grown up in the States, and thousands of them have returned, the younger generation. Yeah. So it's really time for us to do that as well. So hopefully we're creating this pathway and being an example for those that, that want to return. So how long have you guys been here? Did you all came at the same time? Or? No. Uh, Melinda was the first. August 2018. I was December 2018. I was July 2019. And I came in August 2019. Yeah. And what was the final thing that happened where you said, okay, I'm going to move here? I don't think it's one thing. Yeah, it's not one thing. It's a process. It's, it's a process. No, obviously not only job hunting. It's a process mentally, emotionally. Yeah. I mean, it's not, we just, we didn't just pick up our bags and we're like, okay, let's move. It, it was a really, really a, a hard decision. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> for me, it was like a three month thing. I, I set foot back in my homeland after 29 years of being in diaspora and three months later I moved here. It was very quick. Yeah. I don't know. I, as soon as I came back, I just felt complete. Like part of me that I had been missing and that I didn't understand that I, I found here. And then I felt reverse culture shock when I went back home to Canada. Exactly. And I started looking for a job immediately. And then I got lucky. And a couple of months later, I already had a contract signed. And here I was with my two pieces of luggage. <laughs> hey, ho, hey, hello. <laughs> you know, getting on the dusty road to Doug. Like, nice. <laughs> the dusty road to Doug. Um, for me, it was different. I first came, well, my mom's from Syria, so I first went to Syria when I was 13 years old. And ever since then, I felt like there was just, it seemed similar to, to Miriam, I felt complete, like that's where I was really at home. And then in 2013, I came here with to Iraq with Gishru. 
And since then, I've been wanting to come back. I want to, this is a, some, an experience that I want to have in my life. Mm. Like I said, I don't know if I'll be here forever, but it's something that I had to do for myself. And since 2013, I've wanted to come back. I had school, I had work, I had just different things that kept me from coming here. And this year, it just worked out. I came back with Gishu again, and then there was a job opportunity that presented itself to teach. I left my job back home, moved, and here we are. Yeah, my first year was 2008, and I traveled annually for about 10 years. And it was really hard always going back home. You know, it was 50-50. Like, 50% of my heart was here, 50% of my heart was in California, my family, my friends. So it was always a struggle, but I never really thought of moving here. It was always like a dream. Oh, I wish I can live there. I wish it wasn't even a, an opportunity at the time. That's why I'm extremely lucky we all are to have that opportunity now. In terms of what you were asking, well, Jesse, about how locals see it, it's very different. We get very mixed reactions depending on who we talk to. Some people are really proud of us for actually coming here and, and having this experience and living here. It gives some people hope and other people are more skeptical. And I think a lot of it is because of that whole white savior or western savior mentality that some people have mm-hmm. they think we're coming here we're going to fix the whole world or we're mm-hmm. trying to fix the world and the country and that's not what we're here to do if we can help people along the way absolutely Susie's job is <laughs> to help people but in terms of the local reaction some people don't see it from our point of view and we understand that too if they were born and raised here their entire lives, they don't know the struggles and the experience that we had in the West because the picture that people have here of the West is distorted, just like the picture people have in the West of here Absolutely. is distorted. Yeah, it's a case of the grass is greener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always greener on the other side. Uh, it's really strange, but I've had a couple of people comment about how we're coming back and taking jobs away from the locals. I've had that too, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and so that was... A reaction I was not prepared for because I never saw it because the job I had applied for required certain skill sets. For me and Miriam, as teachers, English has to be your native language. Mm-hmm. So there's certain skill sets certain jobs require. But it that's the sentiment anywhere you go. People think, oh, immigrants or people that are coming from other countries are taking our jobs. And it's not the case, but it's something that you're going to get no matter where you go. Yeah, I've actually, that's interesting you said that. I've gotten that a lot. Not locals as in our community, not the Syrian community. Locals as in the Kurdish and Arab and whatnot um, have straight up said to my face, we don't appreciate the international community coming here and, and taking our jobs. Wow. Yeah. I've been on the complete opposite with Jesse because we've worked together in our company and yeah. we've had two local, a few local people who work with us who actually truly appreciated yeah. our work ethic and how we work, our systems, and they've actually grabbed onto it and have tried to learn from us as much as they can. So I think it's just what situation you're in. Yeah. The sentiment, too, is that you're taking our jobs isn't exclusively to the four of us as Assyrians. It would go to any foreigner. Exactly. There's a lot of British, English, Mm -hmm. American, whatever, people from other countries working here, and a lot of locals have the same sentiment towards them. Exactly. Yeah. Can you guys tell me a little bit about your daily life here in Iraq? How is life here? It's so difficult to imagine being from the West and never visiting the Middle East. Is there a big cultural shock that you have to adjust to? Is everything shambles and constant bombings? Um, Explain to me how life is. It just depends on what circle you're in, I guess. Last year when I was here by myself for the first few months, 
I had a good group of expats, so we would go and explore. We were together. Being an expat here is nothing new. People are very well acclimated to it now. They'll look at you, but there's all the necessities that we have are here. Exactly. You get to walk. I walk everywhere. Absolutely love walking everywhere, but it's not anything. I don't know. Now that I have my actual girlfriends here with me from back home, like in the West, it's like a party every day. Do you feel safe here? Absolutely. There, there's nothing unsafe. I mean, you have to be cautious about things. It's, again, for example, anywhere you live, don't take a taxi by yourself at three in the morning. Exactly. Don't walk in the middle of the night. Just be cautious of your surroundings, and I actually feel much safer here. Yeah, I feel in terms of safety, I feel very safe here. Mm. You hear of bombings and shootings and whatever all over the world. I don't think I've heard of much here anyway in Ankawa and Erbil. I feel very safe. We we go, especially in Ankawa, we can go anywhere we want as girls. But again, you have to be cautious. Don't go alone at night and all of that. But you do that everywhere. For daily life, the biggest thing I had to get used to was that it's Sunday to Thursday. Yes. Mm, which was really the weird for me. The weekend here is The work the week weekend. is Sunday to Thursday. Yeah, the yeah. work week is Sunday to Thursday. So I work 8 to 4, Sunday to Thursday. So that was an adjustment. And then the language, too, um, was a bit of an adjustment with the non-Assyrian locals. So like Arabic, Kurdish, which, I mean, most people here anyway speak English. So The northern part of Iraq was never touched by war. So I think that's people, you know, when they hear of these bombings or... The chaos, it is a lot of it in the south. Um, like right now, the protest is in Baghdad. Baghdad, by car, is about five, six hours away from us. Yeah. There's several checkpoints. There's checkpoints throughout the whole country. So um, when it comes to that stuff, like people thinking, oh, you'll never know. It might be bombed. That area, it's completely false. But we can't forget that there are some villages that are near the Turkish border, for example, that might see some action. In the mountains. In the mountains. In the mountains, yeah. In the mountains, yeah. But again, you're just cautious wherever you travel. Mm-hmm. So you just live your normal life. You go to work, mm-hmm. you go shopping. Yes. It's a, basically just a Middle Eastern version of American life, or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, life everywhere. I mean, that's very hard to believe for people from outside hearing this and yeah. knowing or seeing how Middle East is portrayed in the media. Yeah. But life everywhere is like that, right? Like, you go to work, you go home, you mm-hmm. do your shopping, your see your friends, the weekends you go out, you do whatever volunteer things you do. I mean, life is is great here. For accommodations, we all live in accommodations that are provided by our, by our employers. So I live in an apartment building by myself. I mean, it's fine. It's it's And how's like the access to normal material things and luxuries and brands is that uh, something that you have, have to adjust to? Are, are you missing some things that you need? In terms of the brands thing, that's a great question. I brought toothpaste <laughs> <laughs> with me because there's a specific toothpaste that I like to use, like even basic things like that. And I was like, oh, they might not have it there, but they have everything. Even is better <laughs> items, actually. Yeah. Is that why you asked me when you're like, oh, did you get that toothpaste from here when you went in my yeah. bathroom? Yeah, yeah. it's from here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bizarre. So. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they have more variety here, like Melinda. Yeah. Said. Everything's European. So this is the life here in and around Erbil, right? Yes. Miriam, you live in Dohuk, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is very up north. Um, is your daily life different from the rest of the girls? 
It is. Uh, it is. The hook is much smaller, first of all, and um, there isn't a big expat community there. As far as I know, I'm the only Assyrian from diaspora who has moved back to Duhok. So in terms of support network, I don't really have one. Mm. Um, and it's also a different culture and mentality in Duhok, even with the Assyrian community, actually. It's a bit more reserved, a bit more conservative. So as a single female who's moved back from diaspora, it's hard to integrate in the community there uh, because women don't necessarily go out. There isn't that culture of, yeah, we can go out and have coffee or a drink in the evenings together. It's lonely. I'd say it's a bit lonely and isolating sometimes, which is very strange to think because I thought, wow, I'm going to the hook where there's such a huge community of Assyrians and yeah. yet I feel isolated within my own community. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. Then at least I have other friends in Arabia that I <laughs> yeah. can reach out to and visit over the weekend. Which is one of the great things about Duhok is its location, though. I'm very close to the villages, so I can hop in a car and drive to Nahla and spend three days there with the villagers and have a fantastic time reconnecting with my roots. And then I can come to Erbil and have a Western break where I can enjoy the luxuries of Western mm. life as an expat. So in terms of location, the hook is wonderful. In terms of fitting into the community, it's difficult. It has its challenges. Mm. Um, and there were days where I, I felt like maybe I should pack up my bags oh. and leave. Yeah. But <laughs> Who, Who's packed up their bags? <laughs> I think I've packed it a few times. <laughs> Too many times. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. At the end of the day, I just try to remember why I came here in the first place and put things back into perspective and... Look forward to better days and reach out to the network that I do have in Erbil, for example, to just stay sane through those difficult, difficult days. Erbil is definitely a, a much bigger expat community mm -hmm. from not just Assyrians, but all over the world. There's tons of expats here, a lot of NGOs, mm -hmm. all the Western amenities. So it's a very different life than living in, in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. I think there's close to 60,000 expats, expats yeah, in Erbil. Tons. So one of our listeners asked, where can I live with the most liberties of a girl? From our experience and what we've been able to see would be Ankawa. It's, it's like a little, it's a sub-district of Erber and it's majority our community. And everyone is on their foot at night walking around. It's very lively. I live on the Las Vegas strip of Ankawa. <laughs> <laughs> and people are kind. I mean, they will look. People look. Always, 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 always yes. look. Because, yeah, we are Middle Eastern and we can blend in with our features, but we do look Western. So they do look. But they get so excited. I mean, who doesn't want to walk around to every single store in every house? And you say, Shalom yeah. And it's your people. Beautiful. Everywhere. Everywhere. And they're all coming from different parts. Mm -hmm. And it's... Ankaw is a mosaic of, yeah. our, of our community. Even a lot of the expats that come from Europe, yeah. from Canada, from all over the world, prefer to live in Ankawa. Yeah. They feel safe. Even, let's give a more physical aspect to this. So, Erbil is very, very developed now. High rises, very luxurious places to go visit. Ankawa is more run down. But the rent in Ankawa is, I would say, double or sometimes even yeah. triple the amount of rent and than it is for these new homes that are high-rises, penthouses. 
it's just it's a special and it's not just to our community and Kawa is the heart of this yes obviously you know coming from the diaspora there's certain things that we're used to like how Miriam said you know in Dahuk mm. if she wants to go have a coffee with one of her guy friends or drink mm. or whatnot it's very taboo um, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very normal it's for very, us. Very, Even our parents wouldn't exactly. Say it's very, very unfortunate. It's like that. It's very unfortunate. It also comes from our people. Yeah, you're labeled uh, everywhere. No, no. everywhere. You're everywhere. labeled even yeah. before you do anything. Yeah, oh. everywhere. Unfortunately, but we we still need to be sensitive to the culture mm-hmm. here. Yes, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So it's not like we can just be as Western as we are. We still appreciate and respect the culture and the mentality, and I would hope that they would respect our mentality and our culture and where we come from and how we were raised. So hopefully maybe one day we'll get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for us to respect the local customs, but also to have our customs or or what we've been used to, at least to be understood, without being labeled. Very, very judged here. For, For things that you would never even think twice about, you're getting judged for. I mean, that have never even crossed my mind that when I hear someone talking about somebody else, I'm like, hold on, but why? Yeah, exactly. Like, excuse me? It's very unfortunate. But it doesn't affect your life. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all strong women to be able to pack up and leave and come to a country that is still foreign to us. I do feel like I have changed since since living in Duhuk. Um, adapting more to the mm. local culture and so changing the way I am necessarily. So I'm a very friendly person. I will greet you with a smile and a hug. I am not necessarily doing as much of that as I used to with yeah. work because unfortunately it's misunderstood as well. Like, well why is she so friendly to those people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? um, and I've stopped going to certain places yeah. because the people who frequent those places tend to have a... Um, no. The people who frequent those places tend to see things in a more negative light than, than the reality of mm-hmm. things. And so uh, there are words that have come back to me um, because I, I went to this one particular Assyrian club one day. It's like, what was she doing here? What was your business with her? What is she doing with mm-hmm. you guys? Yeah. And a lot of questions that kind of villainize the, yeah. the, the actual experience. So I'm trying to move myself from those situations. I think something we we all remind ourselves of often too is that as Westerners, there is a certain view of like how people from the West are here just because of what people see online, on TV, Hollywood, Hollywood yeah. all of that. So being born and raised in the West, people think that of us a certain way. That might not be how we actually are, but that's just kind of the stereotype. So coming here, we also have to understand what they know, right? Like sometimes it's unintentional ignorance. They don't, they don't know that we're not all like that. So we just have to remember that ourselves too. And we have to almost educate and explain that, you know, we were still Assyrians at the end of the day and we were brought up with the same morals that you were brought up with. Like our families have the strong values that you have yeah. here. It's just that we were brought up in a completely different geographic location. Mm-hmm. I saw that too, like when I was in Syria and I was dancing our dances, they're like, wow, you know our dances. I'm like, yeah. yes, yeah, I'm exactly. Syrian, <laughs> but I'm from Germany. Yeah. I still, yeah. people get so surprised here when we start speaking Assyrian. Yeah. Yes. yes, actually they get yes. so excited. Yeah. You were born and raised in Canada and you know how to speak Assyrian. Yeah, Syrian. exactly. They're always like, wow, your Assyrian is so good. Yeah. <laughs> they don't expect it at yeah. all. Yeah. 
But that's again, that's a stereotype of the West that people yeah. get lost in the West and yeah. then we lose our language, our culture, but obviously it's surprise. <laughs> How is it in terms of dialects? Do you understand the, the dialect that people are speaking here? Mm, most of them. Mm. I find a hard time understanding the dialect from Dashta. When they mix Arabic in it, I yeah. have gone yes. done. Yeah. But that's kind of like how we mix English into our yeah. Syrian. Yes. So they naturally they mix Arabic into their Syrian, but that that gets really complicated for us. Oh, Melinda mixes Farsi in it with the ant. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I had a hard time. I'll be honest, I had a hard time understanding some of the accents and some of the words that were used. But with time, you just pick it up, and, mm -hmm. and I find that my Assyrian has improved significantly since moving mm -hmm. here. Yeah, what I do find humorous, actually, is that I'm in the, uh, in, a, in the opposite situation, where people are having a hard time understanding me, because I speak with like a Jilu accent, and they're not used to that. There aren't a lot of Jilua here. In, Jilu is in Harkar? Yes. And so yeah, they, they kind of like look at me quizzically. Thinking, oh, really? What, is, what did yeah. you just she say? She pronounces <laughs> things very differently. Yeah. Raba. Yeah. Raba. Yeah. Mata. Yeah. Ma. Mata's yeah. ma. Yeah. Ma. Like she forgot to say the rest of the <laughs> Ma. Ma. Pia for beta or pesha. That's funny. Mubat. Mubayat or whatever. Awesome. Okay, girls, let's talk business. How is your work life? Susie, you can start. My work life is difficult. I work long hours. I think anyone who sort of works for an international NGO, it's very expected being in the humanitarian field. We work a lot of overtime, a lot of reporting, and obviously my project is spread throughout Nineveh, so Sinjar, Bashika, and Baghdada. However, it's rewarding for me because I directly work with our community, the Syrian community, and then the Yazidis as well. It's challenging, but rewarding. Uh, do you know, honestly, when I took this contract, I thought I'd have so much free time after yes. work to get a lot of personal projects done and to like grow as a person and learn how to read and write Assyrian. And yeah. I'm working close to 70 hours a week. It's insane. My job is very demanding. The challenges have been the contrast in work ethic between what I'm used to in the West and the work ethic I've encountered here where priorities are not necessarily understood and where deadlines are not oh. exactly respected. <laughs> deadlines yeah. are never respected. <laughs> deadlines have more of an inshallah exactly. you know, label to them, exactly. which is very difficult because I am a very structured and you know project manager type of... Um, I have a, that project management personality. So that's been challenging. Trying to accomplish things has been mm. very challenging in the workplace. However... I want to say that one of the, the greatest things for me is to have Assyrian students in my classes that I get to teach. Oh, wow. Even if there's one in every class, it's okay. It still makes it very worthwhile for me to get into that classroom every day and um, you know, give my all to the students. I'm also okay with working all the overtime that I work because I want people to look at me and to and realize how much I'm getting done and to label that or associate that with this woman is a Syrian and she's getting all this done mm -hmm. and she's doing a great job. I just want the my reputation to reflect the community's reputation or vice versa, I guess. Oh, yeah. um, so I want people to have a positive connotation, I guess, or, or associate my hard work with the Assyrian community. So to kind of 
I am not wording yeah. it properly. I don't know how no, to say no, it. No, it totally makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. You are a reflection of the community. Yeah. I want it to yeah. be a good reflection. Yeah. yeah, I want my work to be a reflection of the community, and I want to represent our community in the most positive light possible. Mm-hmm. And so then that makes all the hard work and all the long hours worthwhile for me. I'm teaching English right now. I'm teaching at a very young level. My students are about three years old. I have 27 of them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so in I one class? In one class, yeah. So I have 27 three-year-olds. Um, my background is not in teaching young kids. I, my background is in human resources. But I am doing my Master of Education right now. So working with these kids, is it's interesting. Like my work life is very different than the girls. I start at 8 o'clock every day and I finish at 4 o'clock every day. I'm home by 4.30. I don't do any work outside of work. And it's very stressful inside the classroom. Mm. Very stressful <laughs> inside the classroom <laughs> with that many young kids. But they're great. They're very cute. And it's fun. I've just learned to enjoy it. I love little kids. So it's not a career path for me. I want to work in educational development outside of teaching, but it's a good experience for now. And it's for me, this was the perfect job for uh, to get me here, yeah. to, ha- what, to help me get here. What are your hours? Uh, eight to four, eight to Monday four. to Friday. Yeah, and I, I have tons of breaks within yeah. that because I don't teach every single period. So, And I, I do have a, a few little Assyrian kids. I have one Assyrian girl in my class oh. and... Um, it, it's really nice. Like I spoke Assyrian to her one day and her eyes just lit up. She was so excited that her teacher is Assyrian. Her teacher is like her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important too to, like Miriam was saying, have that representation so they can see themselves in these positions mm-hmm. that their people are also successful. So usually they don't have Assyrian uh, teachers? I am the only Assyrian teacher in the school and we have 600 kids. And then um, the other, it's an international private school. So their other branch has almost 2,000 students, hundreds of staff. There's not a single Assyrian there. Melinda was... There's, there There was administration, but not okay. teaching. Not yeah. teachers. I was the only Assyrian yeah. teacher. But admin was yeah. local. We don't have... At my school, we don't have any Assyrians. Mm. Admin or teachers yeah. other than me. And I think maybe part of the reason is because, especially up here in the north, majority of the Assyrian families prefer their children to go to the Assyrian aid society schools so that's why you don't probably you don't really see them in private schools we're talking about the teachers teachers. I thought you said you only had a couple one Assyrian student I have one Assyrian student but there's no Assyrian teachers there's I have a lot of Christians like Suraya students but there's no Assyrian teachers at the school oh sorry I thought it was about students because I want to make like I don't want people thinking like why aren't the kids in school because even like (laughs) The uh, the rest of the community, I work with a lot of locals and a lot of actual um, like Kurdish expats who were born and raised in the West and have now come back to live here um, and work here. So I think it's important for us to be in those positions in yeah. the international private school and yeah. in the, the NGOs and in all these places because we are a community here and we deserve representation there. So I came last year, was an English teacher at the same school that Mariam and Jenny are at. I had 29 four-year-olds, and I'm not a teacher, and I, and I don't like kids. I don't like kids. So it wasn't more of like a trying to help my community at that point. I just wanted to survive, and me personally grew a lot from it. So after my contract was done, then I transitioned into marketing, which was my position back in America. That's what I studied. That's what my experience is in. I'm not at an expat position anymore or at a... 
non-local position. I'm at a local company with only locals and Jesse, my, my German pal, um, without the amenities or stuff like this of what other expats get. But now I feel like I'm fulfilling a purpose. Me, for me personally, because I have, like we spoke about earlier, we have the local Syrians there who are trying to help and grow and make them better candidates for other positions for their own career path. So somehow, someway, we all have a little hand. It's just good to have professional Syrians here. There's so much growth happening. We have to. We're missing out. We're really missing the opportunity to grow when everybody else is here. It's so international here, and we cannot sit back during this wave. Are there any funny uh, encounters that you had uh, at work? If it's like cultural barriers, language, or anything? Jenny? <laughs> oh, um, so uh, it's funny every day. They're three, my kids, so they're just hilarious. <laughs> but I have a lot of um, accidents in the class. Oh. They say things. They do silly things. They're just, they're cute. They're three years old, so they are funny, but... I'll leave it at that. I've had, not in my new position, but when I was teaching, when I had just started, and I didn't know any Kurdish at all. Like, now I'm picking up a few words and trying to understand a little more. So my little kid walks in, and he's being polite. He keeps calling, Mama Sta, Mama Sta. <laughs> Mama Sta, Mama Sta. Mama Sta? Mama Sta, Mama Sta, Mama Sta. And he kept going and kept going, and I got really upset. Again, I don't like kids. And so I started yelling at him. I'm like, no, it's Miss Melinda. And then another kid who already spoke English, she goes, Miss, that means teacher in Kurdish. Oh. I'm like, oh my God, my bad. I'm so sorry. And I felt so bad for yelling at him. So that was one of the more like lighthearted things that we encounter. How funny. Yeah. I had a couple of my grade 12 students come up to me very excitedly saying, Miss, Miss, we learned a few Assyrian words for you. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, oh tell me. And they're Kurdish? They're Kurdish, yeah. Um, two Kurdish students. And they're like, yeah, uh, we learned Qutma <laughs> Brishad. <laughs> What does that mean? Oh, ashes, ashes on, on my head. Yeah, ashes on our head. Um, <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious that they had oh tried to God, go learn funny. some Assyrian words. And, and it was like a self-deprecating joke that they were making. And it's cute. I wouldn't say I've encountered a lot of lighthearted moments. But there are definitely a lot of interesting conversations mm. that occur in the workplace. Mm. I work predominantly with locals uh, at my school. It's a public-private <clears throat> partnership, so it's an, an actually it's a it's a public school that is partnered with a private education management company. So all the teachers are locals, and every day we have very interesting conversations comparing our cultures and our heritage and our food mm -hmm. and our language. And we always wonder like, oh, is that word Assyrian or Kurdish or Turkish? Where does it come from? Why do you guys use it? What do you call this dish? And we've come to realize we have a lot of similarities in the food that we eat. And it's interesting to have conversations about where, what is the origin of these dishes? Is it more Kurdish? Is it more Assyrian? Is it something completely different that we both appropriated through the years that we cohabitated, I guess? I don't know. Those kinds of conversations have been interesting. Do people know directly what you are? Or do you have to explain yourself every time? How is your experience with foreigners like expats from the West, but also the non-Assyrians, the Kurdish um, people here, the Shabaks and other uh, ethnic minorities that are living here? I think the majority of the expats here 
because they, you know, obviously work in this region and whatnot, they actually know what Assyrian is, mm -hmm. which is really exciting. Um, a lot different than, let's say, the States. That's when you have to explain yourself. But my encounter with expats here is they know what Assyrian is, and obviously so do the locals. Um, there's some weird questions, like one of my local staff asked me if I speak Christian. I was just about yeah. to make that comment. Oh, do you yeah, speak Messiah? Oh, you are yeah. Messiah. Like, oh, you speak like, oh, you speak Christian? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> That's a religion. I work with uh, a lot of expats and a lot of locals. I work with a lot of Lebanese teachers. From my experience, they usually have no clue yep. at oh, all. Wow. Nothing. What Nothing. we are. Really? Who we are. Yeah, I've, I have yet to meet someone who knows what Assyrians are mm -hmm. without having to explain it to them. And that's something I've learned here too, is that a lot of the time, and I used this term before, it's unintentional ignorance. It's not something they've ever learned or they ever knew. My boss, when um, she was introducing me to another uh, teacher, she said, oh, she's Assyrian. And the teacher said, what does that mean? And my boss said, oh, they're, you know, the, the uh, Christians from Ankawa, they're all yeah. Assyrian, even though I'm, I'm not from Ankawa, I'm from Badwar. <laughs> so uh, it's just teaching and explaining and having those conversations mm -hmm. and those discussions. And sometimes you're met with very open-minded people who mm -hmm. really do want to learn, who have an interest, who are very good, very respectful. And the conversation is two ways. And sometimes you're not, but you can't change everybody. And yeah. That's just how it is. Mine was the same situation as the, as Jenny. We have the same environments when I was mm -hmm. working there last year. And it's, uh, oh, you speak Masihi? Oh, so you are Masihi. Oh, yeah, you're the ones from Ankawa. So it's a bit degrading sometimes. Mm -hmm. Again, it's unintentional, but it's a kind of a slap in the face. Like to, I've been offended many times. No, we're not just the Christians there. This is our land as well. Yeah. What do you think the problem lies, though? I mean, is it why do they not know education? Yeah. I mean, we're we're removed from history. Don't forget. So education here. Education here, not just our education, but theirs as well. Mm -hmm. The only things they know is what they learn from their families, mm -hmm. because a lot of their history, not just the Kurdish people, but the Arab people, the Mandeans, those histories aren't in the books here. Like in, in terms of in the schools, it's very education in terms of history here is very superficial from what I've seen. I want to add on and it's not also everybody's fault. It's also let's do a reflection of our community. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And Kawa, for the most part, only says that, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're Christians. There is no nationalistic aspect mm -hmm. to Ankawa. It is fully, fully surrounded by church. And again, it's not it's not a way to just take a stab at that. No, it's this is the reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there is maybe 5% of Ankawa who actually say they are Assyrian. Yeah. So when the locals are speaking from our community to other locals here, and the only encounter they have are saying, oh yeah, we're the Christians, mm -hmm. what do you expect? Again, another important factor of why we do need to come back. Mm -hmm. so, we are, so we can educate, so we can show a different side as well. For some reason... The diaspora, I feel like we have a more nationalistic view of who we are, along with church. Whereas here, maybe because it's the Middle East and it's surrounded by religion, has only stayed really, really religious. Yeah. Well, I mean, but some areas are very nationalistic. Yes, you know absolutely. I mean? At the same time, yeah, Ankawa is, they do identify more along like Christianity. Yeah. But then we do have other villages and other mm -hmm. areas that are yeah. predominantly Syrian that say we're oh, Syrian. Yeah. 
what I've learned here is just always to approach everything from a place of understanding. Like I have to mm-hmm. understand where that person is coming from, what their background is, what they've been taught, what they've been raised with, instead of reacting emotionally. Exactly. Because once you react emotionally, you're done. You you will yeah. not have a conversation. You were actually the person that taught me that because yeah. um, the other day an Assyrian asked me why I don't speak Surah. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, because of this and family background, yeah, but you're Christian. And I didn't understand. It has nothing to do with each other, but... Yeah. Religion, ethnicity is completely differently portrayed here in the Middle East. I, I just, I think that the community here, the Assyrians from the diaspora, but also the Assyrians who have lived their lives here, we need to bridge that educational gap that exists so that we can inform and educate the, the locals about who the Assyrians are so that they can begin to understand who we are and mm-hmm. how we existed together hundreds of years ago and lived as neighbors and to go back to perhaps living in a similar way and showing understanding and empathy towards each other. It's our responsibility, I think, as an Assyrian community to fill the void. unintentional, yeah. yeah, the void of the, uh, the educational system. But I get really excited, you know, and I've met several of them. I get really excited when I meet local non-Assyrians who immediately know what mm-hmm. Assyrian is yeah. and say, you guys are the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. You guys deserve rights. You guys uh, should be protected. It's a shame what has happened to your community and whatnot. And then sometimes they add, but you guys keep on leaving, abandoning, mm-hmm. leaving, abet- you know what I we mean? We stayed. You guys left. Exactly. Exactly. And they're so right. Yeah. I have a friend, a Kurdish friend. He is phenomenal he was an original and family so they there's a few ones that are, we call them the originals that have been here for generations so they mm-hmm. have authority to have a home everything in Ankawa. he speaks better assyrian than i do wow him and his brother and he loves it he was telling me he's like really yeah him and his brother when they're at home and they're like we don't want our parents to understand what we're talking <laughs> about they speak surah and we go out and we sit and we have the most political conversations that people if they were listening to us they would think that we want to kill each other. But it both comes from an understanding of we respect one another and we respect each other's identity. And he's also taking the time to learn my identity. He's one of my closest friends here. Oh, yeah, he, again, he teaches me sort of words. There's a lot of different encounters. Everyone's different, I guess. I mean, it is a diverse community. Extremely and diverse. you have to learn to live with each other and learn from each other. If we want a future, yes, we have to. Back to the work. Um, is it easy to find a job here? Because a lot of people were giving me questions. What can I possibly work here? And how do I even start finding a job? Depends on what sector you're in. Yeah, if you have the qualifications and the experience, you can get into the NGO world and the humanitarian work. It's tougher, though. It is t- it's, very, it's much harder to get into that kind of work. Much, much harder. The easiest way to move here is to, if you have uh, very basic qualifications, to go into teaching. There's a lot of international private schools, a lot of local private schools that hire expat teachers who are native speakers, not just for English, but for French as well. So teaching would be the easiest way to get here. And then you can network and make your connections and move into another job after that. I applied for five years until I figured out that I'm applying for positions that there's so many other people that are applying to, don't forget, this is a universal location. So now there's people coming from all different parts of the world. 
then I applied to teaching and it's the easiest job to get into here. If you are willing to just come here for a year and not do what you do back home as in teaching, you can get in and then I transferred into something that I did back home. And it's really not that bad. Yeah. Like the teaching, they have expectations. They know that you're expats. They know that sometimes your career is not teaching. So if you want to get here quick and you can do it for one year, come in as a teacher. It's a great package. Yeah, that's what I did. So, and that's what Melinda did and what Miriam did. Yeah, um, <laughs> my, uh, my thing was always that I will teach for one year and one year only until I can get into an, a position that I actually want and something that is more related to my education, my mm -hmm. background. It's comfortable. It's it's a comfortable job, really. Mm -hmm. They there's flight benefits, there's medical benefits, there's housing, there's drivers. Like it, it is it is a comfortable job in that sense. But again, it was a one year thing from that long term. Us. Yeah. Um, for me, actually, the job that I got is in line with what I wanted to do in terms of next step in my career. I was always looking to join the middle management realm. <laughs> Um, and so now as the head of department, I'm kind of meeting that career expectation that I had set for myself. I wasn't prepared to take a step back in my career in order to move here. So I really just lucked out. Being here on your own, what do you miss most about your home country besides family and friends? I miss driving. Driving. Yeah. I really miss driving. Yeah. You can't drive here? Oof. I mean... You don't want to drive here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend necessarily driving here it's, it's it's middle eastern driving it's different it's scary for us <laughs> yeah but i miss driving a lot and i miss easy coffee like starbucks tim hortons just grab and go coffee even though starbucks opened here recently was it real though i know <laughs> i made the decision to come here for a reason and so part of that decision is to come to terms with the fact that you'll have a different life here so just family and friends are really what I miss. And living in Dehok, maybe a diversity of activities that I could uh, participate yeah. in. But other than that... There are no youth activities like back home. In Most of us have an Assyrian youth group back home. And we're doing activities on the weekend. You don't have that here? I mean, I don't know. We have Huyada. Is that considered... Yeah, I'm sure there's youth activities, but it's not something... Uh, I'm not saying we wouldn't join it. Yeah, it's more <laughs> local, like... It's different. Yeah. I don't miss the coffee or anything. Again, like how Mariam said, we adjust to, mm. to the different things. But I, for me personally, so if you have curly hair, you're screwed. <laughs> shoes. And shoes. I'm a size 10, American, 41 European. And that just doesn't exist here. They don't have big people like me here. So <laughs> I brought a whole suitcase of shoes. So it's that and... My curly hair stuff, I, I really, really miss. But Melinda told me before I moved here, because I have size nine feet, bring shoes. Bring shoes, you will not find shoes here. I brought a few pairs, but I wasn't like super serious not about enough. it. There's no, you can't. No, you, you can't. You don't have. There's no shoes here for our size feet. Unless you order on ASOS, which yeah. takes sometimes a month, sometimes three months, sometimes yeah. it just doesn't show up. Mine went to Baghdad. But things, no, I miss, I missed out on a lot of weddings, on a lot of events. You have to come to terms with missing mm -hmm. very monumental pieces of life back home. Mm -hmm. In order Sometimes to. it's not easy at all. Because people are moving on back home and you're, everyone is just continuing their life without yeah. you. Yeah, they're not waiting for us to, you know, celebrate joyous moments. Joyous moments, 
let's be real. Yeah, there's joyous moments, but then there's also bad moments, and then that's. But how do you deal with it with the whole emotional side and being Support. lonely in a in a city or when work and whatever comes uh, is in your daily life that stresses you out? Like, how do you how do you distract yourself from the loneliness? Yeah, there's definitely moments of complete loneliness, even though if, say, we're all sitting together. Mm. But at the end of the day, like Melinda said and Mariam said, we made this decision. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just something that comes with the package mm -hmm. of leaving everything behind is that... You hold on to the conviction that you made the right decision mm -hmm. and that this every day, despite the difficulty, challenges that you face, every day bring something momentous to your life that you wouldn't have other ways had? I don't, yeah, I see things a little bit differently. Like, I don't feel like I left something behind yeah. and, like, yeah. that I'm in some sort of vortex now and nothing's, like, yes, their life goes on, but so does mine, mm -hmm. right? I'm missing out on weddings and family events and all of that, but I'm also gaining experiences mm -hmm. here that I could not have mm -hmm. if I stayed there. There will be more weddings. There will be many more events, but this is something that I needed to experience at this point in my life, and I, I wouldn't change that. I've been to a lot of good coffee shops, so I'll, I'll take you to one. Yeah, like I use the drive-through. Like drive-through, yes. On there's your no way drive to work in the here. morning, on your way to work in the morning, yes. a little to yeah, drive-through, exactly. <laughs> had to work. Just the little basic, like the easy things, but yeah. and Target. Yeah, <laughs> I miss Target. You know, despite the fact that I do miss my family and my friends so much. There's a second family that I've created here. Um, part of that family is my expat family. So others like Melinda, Jenny, Susie that has moved back uh, and a bunch of other, a dozen others who've moved back. And, but there are also our local Assyrian families who, you know, will call every couple of days and ask, do you need anything? Are you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? And that means the world to me, knowing that I'm not necessarily alone. There are still people that, you know, check in on me every couple of days to make sure everything's okay. That means that that means I'm not alone, despite the feelings sometimes maybe that I am. But, but I think it's getting easier. I feel like our group, and we'll, I guess we'll get more into that later on, of our group, we're the guinea pigs. So we're trying to learn and deal with things that no one ever told us. But we're able to better prepare and set a foundation. Yeah, like I can easily say that Miriam and I have had an easier time moving here than Melinda or Susie did because they came on their own. Mm -hmm. And when the two of us, Miriam and, and I moved here, you guys were already here. There were so many things that both of you told uh, told mm -hmm. me and, and helped me with to adjust better here because mm. it is a big move it's it's the same thing if you move to another country it's, yeah. it's a yeah. huge adjustment you had already partly paved the way for the, for us to mm -hmm. move here and then i feel like we're, all of us now together are paving part of the way for the next people mm -hmm. that are going to come yeah. here and the community will continue growing yeah there's about 15 yeah assyrian expats in Erbil yeah. and Dohok now. Mm. Well, Miriam's in Dohok. <laughs> I know it seems the rest 15, of us 15 are may seem like a small number, but it's actually really not. And we had our so family come back with yeah. three young kids. Because I've always heard people saying, oh, I wish we would come back, but we have a family. Mm -hmm. Well, you have no excuse now. I'm yeah. sorry, let's be real. Yeah. There's a the, family? There's yes. a family. Wife is from France. Husband is from Hakkari. And he was living in Istanbul. They lived in Istanbul, packed up three young kids all under the age of 10, and they're living here now. And they love it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's no excuse. There really is. I mean, if it's something you want to do and yeah. you feel like you have to, 
you're not putting your life on hold. This is a part of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say, no, but I have to finish my school. I'm still studying. I'm, I'm in the middle of my master's degree right now. Mm-hmm. People say, I have a family. We had a family come back. People say, oh, but I have to get married and I have to do this and I have to do that. Your life will still go on. Mm-hmm. You can still live a normal life here. You know, they, they, there's, you can make an excuse for anything. Well, there's a husband here as well who has his family in the West who has been here, He's. I think he said he wants to do one year here first and then eventually move his family here as well. But did you guys never ever had a feeling of regret or thinking, what am I doing here? I should go back. I had it a hundred times. But then I am able to snap out of it because something happens here and I'm like, okay, this is why I'm here. This is why I need to be here. So yeah, but don't you have regret and those thoughts sometimes wherever you are? Exactly. Am I in the right position at work? Mm -hmm. Is this where I should be here in my life? But then something always happens and it puts you right back on the same track. Our life hasn't changed. We're still going through the same things, I guess, that you would be going on back home. Mm -hmm. Different challenges. They're just different challenges. It was a month ago, maybe, six (laughs) weeks ago, I definitely hit rock bottom, I'd say, Mm -hmm. in my experience living here in the last few months, where I did start to wonder if I had made Mm -hmm. the right decision. Because coming here, I had set expectations for the experience. And then that day, I realized my experience isn't meeting the expectations I had set for myself. And it was a matter of reassessing whether those expectations were realistic or not, on the one hand, and on the other hand, trying to figure out how then moving forward I can try to get reach those expectations. And to be honest, what helped me was taking a three-day retreat and going to the village of Nala and spending time mm-hmm. there with friends and my second family there mm-hmm. and just gathering my thoughts and feeling like, yes, actually, this is meeting my expectations. This is exactly why I'm here, mm-hmm. to connect with these people, to connect with the land, to just unearth my roots and that helps that helps stay balanced so once in a while you need a reminder of the purpose yes definitely a reminder to stay focused you know just to stay focused you need a reminder of why you're here do you mind sharing those expectations that you you yeah those expectations that and i mean maybe i was i'm a positive person in general (laughs) so maybe the expectations was like the social like hanging out and no it was more than that i um so yes i'd say one of the expectations was that i would come to the hook and i would instantly be embraced by the community and i would just flourish within that community Mm -hmm. and i would contribute to the community and participate in activities and do volunteer work and this and that and other because it does happen on exchange programs when you're here for two weeks absolutely yeah Yeah. so then comparing two weeks to actually living here you cannot compare the two. They are completely different mm-hmm. experiences. And so in terms of like my contribution to the community or my participation in the community, I wasn't meeting I wasn't meeting that expectation I had set for myself. Melinda, would you agree? I wanna I wanna kinda talk to Miriam about that. Like how you we were saying, we're the guinea pigs here and this is all new to us. Yeah. We have to find a way to be able to work with locals our own community because this is also new for them. Yeah. They've only known of people leaving. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to handle people coming. coming yeah. So it's a it's a slow process. Again, we're the first group who was here who was actually trying to set a foundation. We had a meeting with a local cultural club here who was actually really, really active with trying to get us involved, trying to 
utilize us as much as they can and us utilize them as much as exactly. we can. So I think that's a great first step. Absolutely. Yeah. We've yeah. always heard of people coming back ever since I was younger. Oh, they went and they worked as a translator. Or, oh, yeah, they yeah, worked yeah. for, you know, whatever organization. But it was always very, like, short term. So people have always been coming back. But I think, like Melinda said, this is the first real like big community, fifteen people, but when like we're big younger community, too, mm-hmm. young community, born diaspora, yeah, yeah, yeah that for the most part, back. yeah. And you're not necessarily from here. I am from, for example, Turabdin in Syria. Um, Melinda, you're from Urmia. Urmia. Jenny, you are from Syria and here. Yes, I'm from here. My parents were in Basra, but originally um, were from Bedouin. Uh, my grandparents were from the Hakkari region. And then my parents were born and raised in and around Habania, mm. Baghdad. Yeah. And as a returnee group, what are you guys... Do you, do you have specific goals? Do you have specific meetings where you discuss topics? Yeah, I think we're, uh, we meet once a month as a big group. We actually just met yesterday. We had a huge brunch. and At a locally owned Assyrian restaurant who was also, also a returnee from yes. Sweden. Yeah. So we, we meet once a month. We have fun together. We discuss topics. We learn about each other, about our own personal goals and what we want to do here. It's a great group. It's a really good support network because we understand each other and our own struggles and challenges moving here. But also, um, you know, we can share all of the positive things, too. Yeah, it's a big group. We meet once a month. But obviously, during that, I mean, we meet frequently during the during that month. Yeah. So it's just one official set. Exactly. Month. For all the returnees. Yeah. Because I have one of the girls, Agnes, I message her all the She's my biggest supporter. Whatever I'm going through, right away, she'll cheer me up. We keep each other in check, yeah. I think. Because if it wasn't for them, I would have been gone already. I would have already ran away. <laughs> I, you, you need people. When you're breaking down yeah. and you don't have a mother to just go and cry to and just say, it's okay. You don't have... A house to sell to run away from. I mean, you could literally just pack up your luggage and just run away in one quick decision and go back to your comfort. So having them around, they'll calm you down. They talk you through it. And you need that because the locals will not understand what you're going through. Yeah. And it, Because we cannot also understand what the locals are going through. Yeah. So you, you need each other as much as you need your family back home, I would say. Just going back, I found the email I had sent to my family when I told them I was moving here, mm-hmm. where I had outlined, like, the reasons behind my decision and what my expectations <laughs> wow. are. You really are a project manager. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so I actually pulled out this email that day when I had hit rock bottom to oh, read, like, to remind myself, myself. of why, why I had decided yeah. to move here and what I really wanted. Mm-hmm. And then it helped me realize that, okay, maybe I'm not meeting all the expectations I had set out for this adventure or this part of my life at least i'm getting some of it i'm completely opposite of that i had no expectations at all at all because we've been coming back and forth a few times but this is the first time in my life with my personal growth where i'm just taking on whenever it comes to me and i'll figure it out as it goes on i have nothing planned at all yeah i'm similar to melinda i had no expectations but we have so much growth in it yeah yeah like it's the one year of me being here by myself, not as in by myself without expats, but away from my family, mm-hmm. I've grown probably 10 years wiser. Wow. It's because you're complete out on your own. And what does your family think about you moving back? Are they so proud that 
the kids are embracing their ancestral <laughs> roots or um, other different reactions? Um, my, my parents in the beginning were, they just were fearful. They were scared, not necessarily because of what's happening in the country. Just, you know, any big change like that for your child and being so far away is, is difficult. It was difficult for them. However, they're extremely, extremely supportive. Being because um, I grew up in a very nationalistic household, so they're very supportive and they love the idea of what we're all doing. So I wasn't raised in a nationalistic household, mm-hmm. so my parents were extremely against me coming here to the point where my father and I didn't talk. My mom is different. She supported me. She thinks she knows I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm just that daughter that just you can't predict. So, okay, all right, she's moving to Iraq. <laughs> all right. But no, it's it's not easy. Your parents want their kids. I mean, they spent their whole adulthood raising their children. Yeah. And their children decide to go back to a place where they all ran away from. Yeah. From trauma, from disaster, from war. I don't think anyone's family was like, oh, you know what? It's great here, so we're just going to leave. They didn't. Nobody wanted to leave. And that's the last memory that they have of this place. Is very, very traumatic. And now their children, who they spent so much time investing in, so, you know, we're going to go back to that place where you ran away from. Um, my family, I think it was a little bit different. Um, I had said earlier I had gone to Syria when I was 13 years old. And my family is very cultural, not necessarily nationalist. Like, they're not political or nationalistic in that sense, but they're very cultural and very tied to the roots. Your roots are important. Who you are is important. Your, your ancestors and all of that. And since I had gone back when I was 13, I was always like... I want to go back to Syria. I want to go back to Syria. I want to go back. And that was just something that my parents have heard there since I was 13. <laughs> and um, then when I came here in 2013, 2014, and this year with Gishru, that was another thing. Okay, I obviously I can't go to Syria. I want to go back to Iraq. I want to go back to Iraq. So it, I guess it was kind of a seed <laughs> that was like <laughs> sown for a very long time yeah. without even knowing it. But they, they were very supportive of the decision, but very wary mm. and very cautious. And it was the first time that I had left home. I stayed at home even for university. So it was the first time I had left and not only to leave, but to move to the, the Middle East is, it's a big change for them. So they, they were worried, but very supportive. I'd say my mom thought I was going to ruin my career by making this decision. My brother called me and tried to dissuade me. Uh, We got into a few arguments. My sister was concerned about safety issues and about me being so far away from the family. And we're very close. And so, you know, the time difference and the the just geographic distance, they were not exactly thrilled. But at at some point, I think they realized that I was determined and that my mind was already set and that I had actually analyzed the situation enough to make this decision. And so they were supportive of it, although they, they disagreed with it. I want to admit, though, that I think my mom now realizes the importance of this experience for me. Same with my mom. Yeah, because when I talk to my mom on the phone and I tell her, you know, I went to here and I did this and I saw this and I experienced this, and it's bringing back memories of her youth and her life here. Yes, yes. And it's building a connection between my mother and I. And so well, I'm relating yep. to some of what she would have gone through as a uh, you know yeah. young adult here in the homeland, and now I'm going through it. And for it's kind of bringing us closer. It's bri- bridging a bit of that cultural 
the lack of culture awareness that I had growing up in the diaspora. So it's bringing us closer, actually. And they also, they've forgotten all these little details yep. of the life here. You know, it's like the mundane that yeah. happens on a daily basis. We're like, oh, I was walking around in the village and the neighbor, like, just uh, handed us some eggs that her chicken had just laid. And We're bringing yeah. back good memories. Yeah. bringing back, yeah. Or when you're talking to them on Skype or Facebook Messenger and all of a sudden... It- the electricity cuts off. So um, then after wait two minutes, the electricity comes back yeah. on. Then I call them back and they're like, oh my God, it's been 40 years since we've been electricity <laughs> still cutting off. I'm like, yep, some things will never change. Yeah. Which yeah. Your, your building has a good generator. I, it it hasn't gone out once yeah. so far, so that's good. My mom, I was going to just add to her with the connection. My mom feels more comfortable now knowing that I have more people around mm-hmm. me that have that's returned. True. And... I think it's a little um, stress relief from her because she knows I'm well taken care of. Not not because I wasn't before, but now that I have people that she knew from back home in America here with me. So from what I get is you guys, most of you are planning to stay long term here or some of you don't know. What is the importance of at, at least trying to live here temporarily? Probably the experience temporarily if, if you have the chance to move here. I personally, hopefully, plan to be here long term. Well, my personal goal is to help out Assyria because we bring a very different strength or bring a different skill set yeah. to building up our people and advocating for their rights and all that stuff. And, and my reality has totally shifted from what I thought it was like living yeah. in the diaspora and working for the nation. Now I really see the reality on the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's upsetting when people who live in the West don't listen to the people in the East. Yeah. And that should be a strong conversation. The, the decision makers should be here, not anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That's personally what I'm working on. I think every born Assyrian in the diaspora has to come back, whether it be temporary, whether it be long-term. It's a connection to our homeland. It's a connection to reality. We're the first time that there's more in the diaspora than there is in the homeland. You have to have that connection somehow, some way. Even if you come for three months, one year, whatever it may be. Because again, like we grew up working in youth groups and all this stuff. And yes, we also need that in the diaspora as well. It's keeping our culture alive away from our homeland. But that's not our end goal. That's not sustainable. So you have to find a way to be able to make it sustainable. And like Susie was saying, the only way to do it is to come back and actually see what's going on here. Mm. It's a complete different world. Yeah. Complete. Like even things of I had no idea that people wouldn't know who we are here. Those are barriers that we have to face. We actually have to re-educate people in the homeland. Even though we're from here and this is our indigenous land, people don't know that. That's a whole different challenge. Yeah. For me, it was the experience and to reconnect what everybody else said to, to actually understand what's happening here is very different. And then after coming here, I've seen how many people who are also from here of other like in other cultures and other groups. So Kurdish people, Arab people, um, other groups that left or were born and raised in the West have now come back. Mm-hmm. Majority of the people I work with are expat Kurdish people so they're European Kurdish so why I mean why not us the problem isn't that we leave we can leave you I have no right with my Canadian passport to tell somebody Mm -hmm. no you should not leave here you should you should stay here you have to stay here no you can leave go wherever you need to go to better your life the problem is that we're not coming back 
even if it's only for three months, yeah. even if it's only for a year, we can still contribute to this mm -hmm. this community. That, but that's the we're not coming back. That's the problem. Yeah, we are. So hopefully, hopefully more will in the future. But it always starts off slow, yeah. and then once there's a foundation, it's like an avalanche effect. Yeah. Which we really need, especially at this moment in our nation, with the with our population right now here. Yeah. And life is actually better here. Mm -hmm. It's great. I mean, people think, yeah, we. I think the only thing that I sacrificed coming here was missing out on home. Yeah. Of my home of what I thought it was home, of the family that I grew up with, of the friends that I grew up with, of the milestones that are happening. But I'm not sacrificing my life. I'm not coming here living in a tent. Yeah, you're not sacrificing I your happiness. No, yeah. I'm not sacrificing my well-being, nothing. Yeah. There's no sacrifice. If anything, it's better here. It's fulfilling. Very, Very. extremely fulfilling. Yeah. Even in the worst situations, when we're falling apart, it's still fulfilling. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the importance of coming back for a few months or a year or a couple of years or forever, to me, is this fulfillment and this connection with my culture and my roots. I was not born or raised in a nationalistic family. Yeah. We immigrated when I was very, very young. I grew up with this duality within me where I had Western upbringing, but I had Assyrian heritage and culture and morals and, and I needed to bridge the, the two and I wasn't able to back in the West and I feel I can do that here and so for me it's selfish but it's also important for anyone out there who's feeling conflicted and doesn't necessarily understand mm -hmm. their identity very well then come back come back it'll help you figure it yeah. out I feel like my soul is resting here like I, I was always torn Susie and I would have conversations mm -hmm. all the time after I used to come back from Gishru like you, you, we would leave but our heart was still here yeah. Whereas now I actually feel like my whole heart is with me. But yeah, I do miss America, but it's not like my heart is in America. Yeah. Like I actually feel 100% complete. And Mona's right. This is a very hard conversation to have for people who have not yeah. visited. Who haven't had that experience. Haven't had the experience. So for example, every time after we go back to the States, after <sighs> visiting, after Khapnisen, everyone would be like, oh, sit and tell us. And we can only tell them so much yeah. but then we bonded on a different level or yeah. the people that have experienced mm -hmm. the homeland it's a different level of friendship of mm -hmm. you know what Deep I mean because they get it they understand this when you're bawling this... your eyes out to an ostrich yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or to anything really. <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a different bond so thinking about the people that are in the west and are thinking about returning but are struggling with like where they should even start. What are the first steps they should take to be better prepared? I think they should come visit. Come if, visit. Yeah. yeah. If they haven't been here recently, or if they were born in the in the West and they've never been here, just come visit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or connect with us. Mm -hmm. You know, we're here to answer any questions. We're here to share our experience as well. So if you're thinking about it, reach out. Be more than happy to help. And hopefully um, from this podcast, if the listeners have any specific questions or they want to maybe see more in depth how our life is, they can maybe give us some suggestions of how we can also on our side be better at yep. showing yeah. life here. Yeah. There's so many, yeah, there's so many different ways we can do it, but posting pictures and Snapchat, whatever, really doesn't encompass. So if they have any suggestions of what we can do to sort of show how it is here, we're open and we, yeah. we would love to do that. We just yeah. don't know what is a better understanding for them because 
because most of the people that are here, they're sharing weekend trips to Alkosh and uh, other places, but this is not necessarily uh, the daily life. life yeah. And uh, that gives a wrong expectation too. Absolutely. Yeah. I can definitely Facebook live my the four walls in my apartment for them <laughs> every evening to give them an idea of what it's like to live in there. What do you guys do for fun? There's a variety of things. It just depends on your mood. And your lifestyle. Yeah, your lifestyle. There's coffee shops, there's bars and nightclubs, there's Assyrian events, there's local events, there's expat events. Hiking, hiking camping. Camping, skiing. I mean... Everything. You name it, it's it's here. In Erbil. In Erbil. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Erbil and sorry surrounding the, areas. And surrounding areas, yes. I think day-to-day entertainment, Erbil is perfect. Yeah. I actually have... More entertainment here than I did have back in Modesto, Modesto California. <laughs> but yeah, like, if you want to drive, no. Like she was saying, there's skiing. Mm-hmm. There's the camping for people who like to go camping. There's hiking. There's festivals. There's just so much to do. Yeah. Taking day trips and exploring like archaeological sites and yeah. things like that. That's that's fantastic. I do that for fun. Get away from the hook and go on little trips. Is yeah. it easy to also visit our places like the Syrian villages? Absolutely. Yeah. You need to connect with the people there, and then as soon as you have that connection, then it's very easy. Yeah. They welcome you with their arms wide open. Jenny and I have done a few weekend trips where we've taken teachers yeah. into Ex- the in expats, expat teachers into the villages, and they've had a wonderful time. And even the locals that we deal with absolutely love it. We, we tend to stay in the country, but... For expats or other people who like to travel outside, we're so close to everything, to the Europe. A lot of the other expats who like doing that will travel for fun. Okay, guys, we're going to wrap it up with a little fast round. I'm going to ask short questions, and you're going to answer yes, no, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, ready? Ready. Ready. Okay. Are there any fast food restaurants in Iraq? Yes. yes. Vegan-friendly country, yes or no? Yes. Falafel. Do they have gyms? Yes. yes. A ton. Very expensive, actually. Yeah. Very. Uh, salon and beauty care, Western style. Yes. Everything. Yes. Everyone here has Botox. And Best nail salons. <laughs> Best nail salons I've ever been yeah. to. Yeah. Uber. Yes. Yes, it's called Kareem here. Kareem? Mm-hmm. Yes. We don't have it in Doha, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Food delivery. Yes. 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 Let's go eat. I mind you all types of food. Like people think there's only Middle Eastern or whatever. I mean, besides fast food, they have amazing, you know, Asian cuisine, mm-hmm. Indian cuisine, um, Armenian, ev- Mexican, everything yeah. you could think of is here. Yeah. Indian food. Go to India again. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're all female. Are there any male returnees? Yes. 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 What's the one place you should visit if you come here? Melinda. Lalish. Jenny. Bad one. Miriam. In Duhuk, there's a Mount Zawa, and there are uh, Assyrian artifacts engraved into the mountainside there, so you can hike down and check them out. Beautiful. Awesome. Susie. Uh, Nimrud. Even though it's destroyed, but it's still very important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Best season? Fall. Spring. Fall. Fall. Fall, mm-hmm. yeah. No summer? No. no. So hot. <laughs> so hot. How oh, hot? My Too mental hot. breakdown during summer. <laughs> <laughs> um, falafel or dolma? Falafel. Mm. Dolma. 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 falafel and alkush. Mm-hmm. Nana's dolma. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite local discovery? 
pistachio cornetto <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> I was Bas- having two every day in the summer. Yeah. Basili's. It's a the restaurant bar lounge or restaurant. Yeah. Owned by the Swedish Assyrian expat. Family ball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's not, not anything specific. I think no. that's coming up. Yeah. What's your favorite though? I don't have a favorite. I love it all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How many electricity cuts did you have in one day? Max I've had is three, but very short, like a few minutes each. Ten or fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't count. I don't keep track. It's normal now. Yeah. Well, depending on, for example, my building has a 24-hour generator, so it's very rare. Mine does two, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it cuts off in the apartment three times a day, maybe. Yeah. But it's only for like 30 seconds. Swimming pools? Absolutely. Yes. Great. Swimming Rivers. Pools, swimming pools. Not only swimming pools. I mean, they have full-blown, like, DJ parties. Like, they bring famous DJs from Europe. Yeah. And it's mostly all expats yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. It's great. Because you're beating a 130-degree summer. Yeah. With no air conditioning in your building, depending on where you live. So, from all the information that I gathered is that you can live a quite comfortable life as an expat here. And you don't miss out on great things in the West. Yep. Yes. Very easily. Awesome. So we have listeners from all around the world. What do you want to tell them? Come home. Yes, come visit because uh, it's different than what you think. Yeah, come find yourself. Come visit or if you, and eventually if you want to move, we're definitely here to support. However, if you're unable for example, to visit for whatever reason or unable to move here, please, please support the voices on the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There really has to be that connection of what's going on here and how to help our situation here. Ours is not ours as the expats, but ours is in our nation. Wow. Thank you so much, guys. And um, I just want to say I admire each one of you for what you're doing here. And as an expat myself, I just want to... Say thank you for being my family here. And I love how we're supporting each other. So whoever is listening, you should come. We're here to support you. You're not alone. Thank you, (laughs) Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. Hey, guys. Todi Sagi. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with your friends. We'll be back next week.